Hello and welcome to Think Business Futures. We're coming to you from Tourist in Sydney on Gadigal lands of the Euro Nation. I'm Anthony Dockrell. Each week we take a closer look at business issues making up the news. And this week, one of the dominant themes of 2023 in the business world has been our largest corporations in trouble. Our first show of 2023 was a look at one of the big four accounting firms, Price Cooper's Waterhouse, and the fallout from the scandal of them passing tax secrets onto some of its clients. Since then, we've had Qantas imploding after a customer and shareholder revolt, and quickly followed by Optus' disastrous handling of a major outage of its services. This week on Think Business Futures, we look at what all three corporate implosions have in common and what other lessons CEOs and boards need to learn from these disasters. To discuss this and more, we are fortunate to have Professor Carl Rhodes, who is Dean and Professor of Organisation Studies at UTS Business School and author of Woke Capitalism. Professor Carl Rhodes, welcome to Think Business Futures. Great to be back with you. Now, Professor Rhodes, it's not been a good year in Australia for some of our largest corporations. You were on our very first episode for 2023 talking about the initial fallout from PwC. Mm. Um, since then, more has come to light about how PwC operated. But we've also had the spectacle of one of the largest and most loved companies, Qantas, falling to pieces. And now Optus has joined the list of companies having a horrible 2023. One of the things, to my mind, that connects PwC, Qantas and Optus together is a disdain for their customer. Mm. Is that how you read it? I think that's a perfectly reasonable reading of it, because on the one hand, you say it's been a bad year, and I entirely agree with you. But that's a matter of perspective. Qantas had a fantastic uh, record profit of two point, more than $2.4 billion. Mm. You know, uh, profits for other companies are up. Uh, CBA had $10.3 billion. So if you are a, you know, shareholder primacy kind of guy, you might say this is a fantastic year for these corporations. And I think that is the difference. But if you're a consumer, and in Qantas' case, if you are, uh, were an employee, then certainly it's been a quite, uh, could be conceived quite differently, a quite terrible year. I mean, the, the PwC kicked it all off. Um, really just reflecting uh, the level of uh, trust in large corporations by Australians is really uh, hitting new lows. And we'll get to that that notion of trust. But look, boards have a fiduciary responsibility to maximise shareholder value. Is that their only responsibility? I think their fiduciary responsibility is to act in the best interests of the company. It's a question of judgment as to whether maximising shareholder value is or is not in the best interest of the company. I think the whole idea of shareholder value maximization has kind of been taken to a ridiculous extreme. And the idea of short-term value maximization for shareholders um, uh, is really not necessarily in the best interests of companies, as we've seen in many cases. I think the kind of turmoil that Qantas is going through at the moment suggests that shareholder value maximization, which was clearly the managerial mantra of that organization for many, many years, um, has not in the long run uh, been in the best interest of the company. They're in, they're in turmoil. Uh, you know, customers are up in arms. There's industrial relations problems. Um, uh, really, you know, some hard yards for the new CEO there. So that's what shareholder maximization got for them. I mean, the other thing that strikes me too is that, um, you know, with these large corporations, the shareholders and the customers actually aren't separate. I mean, in the case of Qantas, you know, there'd be uh, 
there are literally hundreds and hundreds of thousands, probably millions of shareholders. Mm. Um, they're obviously using Qantas. And so it does seem uh, that if the board is just about maximizing returns to the company, it is kind of actually ignoring the wishes of the shareholders. Indeed. And, and also bearing in mind, you know, um, Australians who are part of uh, superannuation schemes mm. are all shareholders as as well. I mean, I think we kind of have this image that you have these three distinct people, one who's a customer, one who's an employee, and one who's a shareholder. And we think of the shareholder, you know that character, um, I think he's called uh, Mr. Moneybags or Pennybags, I can't remember, in, in the Monopoly game. He's in the middle of the game, yep. he's got a top hat, and he's running away with a bag of swag. When we think of shareholder, I think a lot of us have the image of that guy. Yes. But that's not actually, the shareholders aren't kind of, you know, robber baron, tycoon types like him they're in many cases everyday people and they're also citizens and they're also voters so i think often we operate under a very misguided notion of what a, who shareholders really are and look in the case of Qantas i mean the, the share price is down something like 15 percent mm. um, this year it is a very volatile stock it has to be said but uh, you know, at the recent AGM, the Qantas board saw that there was uh, uh, that the shareholders were incredibly angry at them. Mm. I, I struggle to see that what the lesson that's being learned here. Yeah, I think it's still early days to tell. I mean, uh, your question of what lesson is being learned uh, assumes that a lesson is being learned. So we don't <laughs> even know if a lesson is being learned at all, or whether you know they're just going into damage control and it'll be back to business as usual once the water settles. So I think we need a bit more time to learn uh, to learn any lessons. But, you know, the, the, this kind of behavior of corporations, of profiteering, of uh, maximizing shareholder value, of, uh, you know, taking, ad of, you know, behaving in very aggressive, monopolistic ways, um, in many ways, selfish ways, you know, that's developed as a kind of mainstay of Australian corporate culture and globally over many decades. And I think it'll take more than one crisis for that to change. But hopefully this crisis will be another straw on that camel's back so we can get back to what business should really be about, which is about, you know, providing valuable goods and services, paying tax that supports uh, public services and pu public good, and offering decent, reliable and well-paid employment. Those social responsibilities are the ones that don't get a lot of airing in all of these discussions. Let's quickly talk about PwC because their scandal has been far more existential and, mm. and, and it's also been drawn out over a longer period of time. There has been some substantial changes to the company. Do you think that in the, case, in the single case of PwC, some lessons actually have been learned? I would hope there would have been some lessons learned there. I mean, the behavior in this case was really... Um, uh, well, I mean, it's been subject to criminal investigations. Mm. It's not just about bad culture. Um, and, and really, it involves things that, that, that uh, go against even the most fundamental human values of honesty and, and you know, not cheating um, and lying. Um, uh, so I would hope that there are some lessons there. The question is, do extraordinarily financial incentives which companies like PwC would have for the, mm. for the uh, partners and, and people who work there in this behavior, do these excessive financial uh, incentives mean that people will forgo basic 
human values uh, that we might apply in other aspects of our lives in order to make money. And in PwC's case, by all appearances, it did. So have they removed those kind of financial incentives for their partners? My I, have no, I have not heard any suggestion that they have. So I think until those incentives remove, are removed, the, uh, the motives to behave badly remain strong for those people of weak character. That's a very good point. Uh, look, uh, another aspect of the PwC, Qantas and Optus uh, sort of um, fiasco from, from this year that strikes me is that they all share this other quality. They're, they're all big players in markets which have little in the way of choice. Mm. And the price of entry into those markets is high. So in the case of something like Optus, you know, it's basically three networks. And, you know, there isn't a new startup that's about to build its own 5G network. Yeah. The same with, you know, Qantas. Uh, there's a, essentially a choice of two domestically. You and I aren't going to be starting an airline tomorrow. <laughs> so we have these heavily concentrated markets with limited choice in key parts of the economy. Is that the way it has to be or is there an, a, an alternative? There is absolutely an alternative. And the alternative comes from regulation and it comes from breaking up monopolies and oligopolies, where in fact, as you know, there have been allegations um, uh, at Qantas for very uh, unsavory behavior in terms of trying to maintain monopoly. I mean, the whole idea of a free market economy is that efficiency is generated from competition. And if we have a system like we have predominantly in here with the with the high uh, concentration of oligopolistic markets and lack of competition, that will drive prices high, it will drive profits high, and, and that will be to the detriment of, uh, of the nation, to the detriment of consumers, to the detriment of citizens. Look at what's happened this year in the financial service industry in this country, banking in, in particular, record profits. Uh, once again, Commonwealth Bank. 10.3 million ANZ, 7.4 billion. Meanwhile, we've got a house. Of, we've got a we've got a cost of living crisis. People can't afford to buy houses. Or people can't even in many cases can't find a house to rent in many capital cities. And many families can't afford. You know, children aren't going to the dentist because they don't have money for it. Yet, you know, that yet we're talking tens of billions. So. It seems to me that things are way off kilter, and I think you're spot on that the highly concentrated uh, markets that exist here have a lot to uh, answer for for that, and for the governments who haven't had the courage to regulate them. Uh, and look, you've, you've touched on this before. I mean, another way of looking at what's happened to Qantas and Optus this year has been a complete breakdown in trust. Mm. You know, when, when you buy a product, you enter into a, a pretty basic contractual arrangement. How did a large... And, you know, well-established company like, say, Qantas, forget the most basic fundamentals of being in business. You know, if I buy a ticket to, to go on a plane, there's a minimum amount of service I'm actually expecting. I would have thought in the year 2023, it wouldn't mean such a big deal to provide that. You would have thought not. I mean, obviously, the airlines were hit uh, significantly by COVID. They also got a lot of help from the government keeping them going, by yes. the way. I'm not feeling sorry for them. Um, uh, and coming out of that, I think, I mean, it's hard to say what went on inside. But what I suspect is that 
the priorities were skewed and the priorities for short-term financial results um, were put ahead of the more fundamental uh, business practices, as you say, offering decent services to customers at a, at a reasonable price. Again, that's the real social uh, responsibility, one of the real social responsibilities of, of corporations, which was absolutely um, ignored. And I, so, again, I think it's part of a business culture which has which has forgotten what it's about. And it's almost as if, you know, corporations are created by virtue of law, right? Mm. They exist as corporate persons by virtue of law, a law that is laws that are part of a democratic, in our case, society, um, and that allows those corporations to exist. But it's almost as if the tables are turned and, and the economic tail is wagging society's dog and it's time for uh society and the rule of the people democratically to get back in charge and i think on a large scale that's really where things are going wrong private uh interests um in the form of corporations have just become far too powerful not just economically but also politically but also, I guess the the capital that they put back into the community has d- diminished. I'm thinking about in the case of the banks. The banks mm. did used to be these big, large institutions. They've always been about making money, yeah. And when, and and there's nothing wrong with that. But that they 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 used to be pillars of the community. The bank manager was, you know, somebody who was almost like the 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 local priest, yes. you know, in the community, like somebody somebody who carried real weight. And, and if you've gone into a bank branch lately and tried to get service Mm. none of that's going on anymore no i mean it really has become corporatized and obviously commonwealth bank used to be a publicly owned institution Mm. until quite uh recent recent history but it's become much more uh profit motivated and much less um about a service and obviously Societies need banks. You know, it's a central yeah. part of a, a functioning economy and a functioning society. So to, to suggest their only interests are, are private is is um, entirely false. But yeah, those things um, those things have all changed. And of course, remember, again, if we look at changes over the last decades, the, the corporation has increasingly become the de facto form of organization to run any kind of uh, activity. You know, uh, mutuals were demutualized. You know, you used to be able to go to a building society if you didn't Mm. want to go to a bank. They've uh, pretty much all gone. The co-ops have largely gone. So the, the, the privately owned and in many cases publicly listed corporation has kind of become the de facto mode of doing business. But there's lots of other ways. Think there, there are alternatives that we seem to have forgotten. And again, we need a bit of creativity so we get back to the idea that the economy serves the common good and the economy serves everybody. It serves a, a shared prosperity, not just wealth being hoarded increasingly by fewer people. We've actually seen this play out in America um, in the last week with uh, the the fallout from uh, the sacking of Sam Altman because what, mm. really what was going on there was a non-profit company uh, which was morphing into a corporation yeah. and the non-profit board trying to get control back in that in that company, and and clearly they failed. Capital was won there, yeah, and they failed uh, spectacularly. Now, Go, going back to an article that you wrote in September in the conversation, uh, and going back into this concept of trust, only relatively recently we actually had a much higher level of trust in mm. our corporations. Uh, yeah. Why did we have that trust, and and where has it gone? 
Well, I mean, yeah, trust has fallen. There was a survey by Roy Morgan earlier this year, which shows that trust has been falling consistently. So the last year, it's been in free fall. And the things we've been talking about, Qantas, um, uh, PwC, the data breaches at Optus, which we didn't talk about, but all of these things uh, were said to contribute. But that was all already falling through COVID, where we saw lots of you know, businesses taking job seeker when they didn't need it and refusing uh, to give it back, and various forms of profiteering over COVID. You know, billionaires got way richer when everyone else suffered during COVID. So I think in recent history, that whole period, you know, uh, since pre-COVID has worked. But I think ultimately, I think it's quite simple. The reason we are not trusting corporations, because they're increasingly behaving in untrustworthy ways, um, as as some of which we've we've described here. And I think what actually makes it worse, we're in an era today where corporations are saying that they're talking about purpose and not profits, and they're talking about social impact. They've been talking for ages about corporate social responsibility, stakeholder management, and all these great things that are about them caring about everybody. And then you see corporations making these massive profits and behaving in these terrible ways. And there's a smell of hypocrisy about it all. And that also will massively reduce trust. And look, I do, I do want to get to that, and that's, and, and that's that idea of woke capitalism. We want to unpack that. But before we do, in that article in September, you, you also said there needs to be a royal commission into the corporate sector. Now, that's a big ask, yeah. but why do you think we need a royal commission? Well, let me just say up front, uh, I have not yet received a call from the uh, Governor General uh, seeking my personal advice on this matter. Um, and to some extent, that was a provocation as much as anything. But the reason I said it was... Because it is a massive crisis and a scandal that is not being recognized. Meanwhile, we have a a, a nation that is tumbling into worsening levels of uh, wealth inequality, where fewer and fewer people are taking the lion's share of the benefits or economic benefits of what is in Australia a very rich country. And I think we're just kind of rolling down this hill without fully realizing the extent of the importance of uh, economic justice. And I think that if you look at the behavior of of corporations contributing uh, to this, um, uh, it needs a radical rethink. And a royal commission would be one way um, uh, one way to do this. I mean, we had the commission into into banking recently, but here I'm talking generally about the culture of of corporations. And I think the answer doesn't rely on corporate self-regulation, which is often the case. It means changes in government policy, changes in community expectations. You know, I'm the dean of a business school. Changes in the way we educate the next generation of business leaders and really a broad brush change in policy and practice to ensure that we can build an economy that supports all Australians. And we don't have that now. I think that's serious enough to warrant a Royal Commission. It certainly does when you unpack it like that. Um, Look, one of the aspects you've been critical about for a long time with our corporations has been this idea that you've put forward of woke capitalism, Mm. where, and and to be clear here, you're not like coming from it from the the Sky News perspective of woke (laughs) capitalism, you're coming from it from a more progressive angle, but you're, you're, you're critical of large corporations taking a political stand, often around soft social issues. Mm. Why is this a problem? 
I think a number of uh, a number of reasons. Possibly one of the, the most ones is that, on the one hand, it can be a case. In some cases, you'll see examples of woke washing, right? Which is just you know um, uh, corporations taking on fairly superficial views to make them look good. Meanwhile, they carry on as normal. That's in some cases. In many cases, however, I believe that companies are serious, and I don't doubt the sincerity of professionals and people working hard in organisations on ESG, on diversity and inclusion, and on things that are vitally, vitally important. However. It puts, if we allow corporations to set the agenda for what counts politically, which to some extent this is doing, then that means responsibility, political responsibility, is in the hands of private interests and not in hands of of public interests. And part of what we see go on in this case, there are many. If you look at the kind of causes that that corporations uh, support, um, uh, whether it be you know Black Lives Matter, Me Too, same sex marriage, uh, LGBTQIA plus rights, all of things which are part of my personal politics in supporting, by the way. But what happens is that by supporting those things, they and environmentalism, they generally supporting social and environment, in some cases environmental causes, but the root of any real progress comes from changing the what happens economically and 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 so-called woke capitalists really avoid addressing fundamental issues of economic justice we don't see corporations weighing in on increasing minimum wage or implementing you know uh, universal basic income or the importance of uh, trade unionism for worker representation or the absolute scandal of CEO pay all of these things which are fundamental to economic justice and fundamental to any kind of political process are entirely pushed off the agenda if um, uh, if that agenda is dominated purely by the causes that corporations support. So you talk, you know, some people talk about business as a force for good. The real question is, who defines what good is? Should it be private interests? Or is that something for us as a society to do collectively? I look, I think that's a really important point, and and it's something that I think is often missed when you see the rainbow flag on on you know a logo is mm. turned into a rainbow flag. Most of us would look at that and think that's good. Yeah, but we shouldn't be necessarily taking direction from Westpac when it comes to how we set out our political agenda, should we? No, absolutely not. And also, corporations generally jump, you know, jump into these things once public opinion is really settled. If you look yep. a few years ago at the, the plebiscite on same-sex marriage, corporations, many corporations, supported it, but only after the polls had showed that you know that that things had changed significantly. Corporations don't take any political risk because the other thing to remember is real political change comes from political action and in many cases from political activists if you look at at you know things like the black lives matter movement things like the me too movement it was real people making a difference if you look at you know back at lg if you look at lgbtqia plus rights or back to pre, you know previous generation to gay rights there were people out there risking their lives at a time where they could be in prison and and mm-hmm. risked being beaten to death by angry mobs in order to claim basic human rights that is real activism for change. Westpac comes in after someone else has done the hard work. Yes, that's a very good point. Like uh, the gay and lesbian Mardi Gras didn't have corporate sponsors 40 years ago. No, not at all. It had police trying to uh, close it down. 
But we should look at this from the other angle as well. So these large corporations, you know, uh, they are taking on these soft social justice issues. But as consumers, are we also partly to blame? Because, you know, we want our products that we consume to match our values. Mm -hmm. Are the corporations just giving in to the weight and pressure that they're also feeling from their customer base? In many cases, pressure from customers. And in another case, it can be pressure from uh, employees um, as well in terms of in terms of how they do this. So, yes, uh, in many cases they are. And it's, it's wrapped up in the whole system. But again, this demonstrates, you know, what are the real motives? If people, if corporations are reacting to pressure from customers, it means that their motive is unchanged. Their motive is still to maximize profit. And it also depends on, you know, we see a lot of these kind of uh, woke causes, but there's many, uh, you know, uh, corporations and billionaires who support quite regressive politics. You know, there was that American bean company that was supporting Trump. Uh, they did quite well out of that, by the way. Um, uh, look at the, the Koch brothers and, and their kind of political influence uh, in, in the uh, United States. So the question is, sure, you know, there might be some people doing things that you and me happen to agree with, but we're not choosing that they do that as citizens of this country. We just might benefit. And quite similarly, they could choose to do something else. But it is private interests are doing the choosing. And that's fundamentally undemocratic. Look, we've had a year where the fragile trust in large corporations has been broken or at least badly damaged. Mm. Is it fair enough for boards and CIOs just to get back to doing core business and basically get back to providing good services and products? Or... Is there something more that they need to do since we've got to this crisis point? No, I think, and especially here in Australia, you know, Australians are a fairly pragmatic people. I think a corporation that came out and said, we're here, we pay a fair amount of tax and we're going to offer good jobs and our products are reliable um, and this is what we see as what we do. We'll make a reasonable profit along the way, but we're not going to rip you off. I'd be buying from them over some, you know, uh, kind of, you know, woke PR machine telling me how great they are morally. And what do you think of the idea that boards should expand the idea of fiduciary responsibility so that they give their customers, let's say, equal standing to shareholders? Is that, I mean, that might be a radical idea, but if they did that, would that be a way of actually fixing this problem? It is a radical idea. Many companies now supporting the idea of kind of stakeholder approaches where they say that all stakeholders are are important, shareholders, customers, employees, suppliers, communities, etc. But if it's still the case that the shareholders have the biggest say, then it's not really a stakeholder approach. It's a kind of, you know, uh, remains a shareholder approach that tries to make itself look better. So yeah, giving customers a say would, uh, would really mean putting the, the, the stake, your stakeholder money where your mouth is. But, um, yeah, I think we're a, a long way from that. Okay. Well, look, let's say the Royal Commission doesn't happen. Mm. What do you want to see in 2024? I think the biggest influence we will see is not from corporations themselves, but from the, the world of politics. And I want to see, I would like to see much more um, activity from politicians uh, drawing attention to uh, poor behavior and demanding that corporations behave differently. And we have seen this this year. I mean, hands off to Senator Barbara Pocock for keeping that flag flying and for holding corporations to account. Because 
government in a democratic company represents the people. And that's a very important job. Well, they don't always represent the people in practice, but that's the political system notionally that we're in. And that means defending people's rights um, and, and putting the, the, the rights of citizens first. And that is a very important role. And so I would like to see, I mean, a royal commission would be one way of... of uh, having the people's voice come to bear on uh, the way corporations behave and the way they're regulated. But failing that, there are many other political mechanisms too, um, including the actual political will of individual politicians to take these issues head on, as Pocock has. Um, uh, and I would hope that many more would do that, and that might create some momentum for real change. And finally, and you touched on this before, I mean, the corporate behaviour that we're, we're seeing, I'm sure it's feeding into uh, the training that business students are getting in universities across the country. Mm. Do, you, do you expect to see a new generation of professionals more aware and better equipped to deal with these kinds of, I guess, ethical dilemmas that they'll find themselves in when they're operating corporations? I certainly hope so. I think that there's a new generation of people coming through now that I've seen that are more politicized uh, than ever. You know, I've been in, the, in this game for, for many, many decades. And I think certainly, I think what a lot of business schools are doing, uh, certainly what we are doing is really trying to provide students with that broader education so that so that it's not just about understanding the functions of business to to make as much money as possible, but really becoming what some people call business citizens and understanding those broader roles of responsibilities. Because you asked me what I'd like to see in 2024, I'm a, you know not so not so optimistic about that. But if I think of what we might see in 2034 and 2044, that is where the next generation of people can really make a difference, and that's that's where my faith lies in those people. I think they're great. And as universities, it's our job uh, to support that um, and offer that broader education and help people, you know, especially undergraduates, you know, they come to us at 17 or 18, leave at 20 or 21. It's the core time of growing up, you know, from an adolescent to an adult that people spend at university. That is an awesome responsibility for us to take. And it's not just about teaching them marketing, finance and accounting, which we do as well, but it's about producing producing good, well-rounded people to become the leaders of tomorrow. And I think that's what business education needs to try and do uh, and what, what we and many others uh, are trying to do. So I think our real faith has to be put in a next generation because I'm afraid to say it, our generation has got us into this mess. Hmm. Well, on that semi-positive note, Professor <laughs> Carl Rhodes, <laughs> thanks for being on Think Business Futures. Absolutely my pleasure. Thanks, Anthony. And thanks for listening to the program. This edition was recorded at the studios of Tura CR and is made possible by the assistance of the UTS Business School. If you want to listen to this program again or share it with your friends, just go to tourcr.com or you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Think Business Futures will be back next week. I'm Anthony Dockrell. Thanks for listening. <laughs>